Welcome to the second podcast in our special series devoted to diversity and inclusion produced by the Urban Development Institute of Australia in Western Australia. I'm your host, Tanya Steinbeck, CEO of UDIAWA, and in this episode, I'm joined by two of UDIAWA's Industry Workforce and Diversity Committee members, Simon Brown of Longreach Recruitment and David Paz of Hesperia. Welcome, guys. Hey, Tanya. Nice to have you. So we're going to explore the topic of recruitment and employment in the current climate, including the impact of COVID and some of the emerging themes here in WA. Where we wanted to start this discussion is around, uh, I guess, when we first looked at putting this podcast series together, the theme was going to be the impact of the economic downturn on employment. However, WA has fared way better than I think anyone anticipated. So we're already now officially out of recession, if we ever were, in WA, and our unemployment figures are looking a lot more positive. So we've got the latest figures from ABS showing that uh, Australia's GDP grew 3.3% in September quarter, but declined 3.8% in the year to September 2020. So the recovery might only be partial for Australia so far, but WA is performing extremely well. And the Premier's strict approach to the borders seems to have helped us. Although today we've seen that we're finally loosening up our border controls and opening up to Victoria and New South Wales. So how do you think our industry is going to respond from an employment perspective moving forward, given that we're starting to see some labour shortages already in a lot of industries, particularly in construction? Mm. Well, the construction industry is going to benefit from now being able to tap into that eastern seaboard talent pool. I mean, it was starting to get pretty tight, you know, as soon as that stimulus came federal and state, trades prices went up, the building contracts were starting to be questioned about how much they're actually going to be able to deliver. So the employment trend should benefit from that interstate travel, but the the local talent pool is quite strong. I've seen a real pickup locally in the private operators, property development side of things. Private money has been really confident, sort of counter-cyclical in its approach. So that employment's been really strong. It's been the big institutions that have sort of been quite cautious. So we're seeing a trend of more fixed term contracts and temporary workforces coming into effect. And that makes a lot of sense, minimises risk. We always like contracts, sort of try before you buy. And we're selling that into our clients and they seem to be picking it up with a bit of confidence. So temporary workforces, fixed term contracts seem to be the new norm with the hope that that'll transition to permanent once we get more confidence. But it's definitely been a big increase for us is that temporary workforce, short term contracts, turn the tap on and off as required. Just concerned that if and when COVID does arrive in Perth, what effect it'll actually have if we get community outbreaks. So the trend has temporary contract workers yeah. for now. Yeah. White collar and blue collar. Yeah, okay. And what about you, David? What are you seeing at Hesperia? From our point of view, we've seen quite a positive outlook. Like you believe that the JobKeeper has allowed like, the economy to rebound very quickly, which is amazing credit to the government bringing such a policy. And with the amount of money being put into place for not just JobKeeper, but the grants and all, that, all those different incentives that the government's spending, money's cheap. And so there's money in the economy. People want to spend. So we've seen there's quite a large demand for products. You can see through the rental shortages and you can see from the houses being snapped up fairly quickly. Look, they're not they're nowhere near what 2006 levels were in terms of pricing, but they are being snapped up at quicker rates now than we had seen in 2006. So that's impressive stats in terms of coming out of a pandemic to see 
that we actually, there's a lot of demand for products. Don't want to call it a boom <laughs> quite yet, but I think people want to know where they're going to live for the medium future. I think people were a bit concerned about their, their setups at home and being able to wear out or ride out another lockdown potentially. Well, from my personal point of view, I've just changed houses. Mm. And that's one of the factors I've considered is making sure I can work from home if I need to. I need that. I've got that extra room now to have the, an office that I can now work out of because yeah. that's a reality of life. Mm, absolutely. So. It's an interesting topic, the whole working from home scenario. And a lot of our members have uh, chosen to offer permanent working from home arrangements up to 50% of the of the work week. Are you seeing much of that happen and sort of taking the, the benefits of the increased productivity that, you know, reduced travel time to and from the office mm. and other things? Are you seeing that happen more yeah. these days? Nothing like a pandemic to force everyone's hand. And, you know, we're also worried that productivity wasn't going to be as high. Everyone had to really scatter to get the, the systems to work so people could be remote. But overall, the feedback from 80, 90% of my clients is that it was a really positive output for them. You know, people were actually producing at or above their normal rates. As people got used to working from home, I think, like you say, Dave, they fall in, you fall into a comfortable space. Instead of starting working at your dining table or your breakfast counter and kids or dogs are interrupting people, we're seeing more of these home offices designated for that sort of quiet space. And that saw the productivity go up and employers are far more open to it now. Mm. From an employment point of view, recruitment point of view, I am seeing people starting to talk about it now when they're negotiating offers. You know, what is the flexibility arrangement? Can I work from home one or two days a week? You know, what is their actual approval for that? Or is it is it part of the status quo now? So it's becoming a pattern. People have enjoyed that flexibility to work from home. The systems are there to do it and productivity is up. So it's really a bit of a win-win. Everyone seems to either love it or loathe it and employers are starting to be more flexible to allow that to take place. Usually it's one or two days a week, 50% is probably more than I've heard of because we can't lose that, that sort of that culture. We need them to have a bit of face-to-face -face time in the office but absolutely the flexibility is there to do one or two days a week from home in a lot of companies, listed and private. I think you pick up on a couple of things there. You need to have a setup at home you yep. can't be working from your dining table because it just doesn't work you need to have that bit of structure a bit of routine and the facilities at home to be able to work from home i, I don't think if you don't have that set up i don't think that you're going to be as productive as you could be Absolutely. the other thing you was interesting in saying is the 50 percent or one or two days i personally missed the office when we were in COVID. You know, I was, we once I got into routine, was managed to managed to be as productive as I would be in the office, but missed the support and missed the team dynamic. Mm. And we got a fairly young office, it's energetic, socialised with people, and yeah. it's part of your work day. Mm. It's part of the enjoyment of doing work. You you collaborate with you know, smart people to get good outcomes, and it's always that little bit easier to do it face to face than over the video conferencing systems or a phone call. That being said, I think like video conferencing has taken a lot of steps forwards and yeah. actually it's made my life now a lot easier because so you got you got the opportunity to use conferencing for meetings where you don't necessarily have to meet someone but it's nice easy to do over the phone yeah. and I think that's brought a lot of efficiencies to me in general in terms of how I manage my workload. That's probably something that I agree completely. I've seen a lot of people realising there was wasted time in travel. Mm -hmm. Can this meeting be done over a video conference? And people are far more receptive to that post lockdown. Mm. So, hey, 
instead of meeting on site or meeting at your office, can we just have a video conference? And people are enjoying that extra time. For and people are now set up for yeah, it. So before people were nervous about it, you know, what if my computer doesn't work? What if the camera doesn't work? Mm. And what if the speaker doesn't work? But everyone's got their systems in place now. Yep. And it's become for, except a form of communication. Mm. Imagine how long it would have taken for the workforce to, to try and work towards that if they weren't forced, you know. Mm. It really took place in two to four weeks. Been around for years. Been yeah, around for years. We've all adopted it now. Mm. Very true. Indeed. So so going back to, I guess, the, the current labour market and some of the skills shortages that we're experiencing, particularly in construction due to the impact of the stimulus, but also the, I guess, combined focus of this state government on infrastructure spend mm. and a lot of civil construction in particular becoming a real issue. What shortages are you seeing from a skills perspective at the moment? Well, in our construction division, they're seeing, as you can imagine, the drafties, schedulers, estimators, the contract administrators are really, really stretched. Mm. So we're really struggling to fill all of those gaps for our clients. Obviously, only just now the borders are starting to, to release a little bit. But as we talk about technology, I think a lot of building companies were already delving into the offshore administration, contract admin drafting facilities that are available. So I just really hope we can try and keep more of it local, but I'm guessing a lot of them are looking offshore to outsource where they can mm -hmm. to fill this need. Because as, as David said, it's not a boom, it's sort of brought forward a lot of the market in construction. So there is that hesitation to bring in permanent staff on, as I said before, temporary has been the focus. So offshore would be filling some of that, unfortunately, at the moment, because we simply don't have the depth of talent locally in mm. that construction space, mm. especially in the office-based roles. Yeah, yeah. What about you, David? Look, from our perspective, what I'm seeing on the ground is some of the contractors are starting to say that it's hard to get staff in terms of competing with mining, competing with infrastructure. Mm. You know, both both sectors have all, all three sectors have very similar skill sets that you need. You know, in terms of some of the fitters, some of the you know maintenance staff, the stuff that you don't actually think about, uh, what makes an organisation run, and even the guys on site, it's all started being a bit of a competition. Look, we. I'd like to hope that once we've opened up these borders a little bit, loosened them up, we're going to have a few more people come back in home from over east. Uh, I think the quarantine of 14 days is definitely a discouragement from people wanting to come back. For me personally, I don't have the day-to-day -day seeing of what's happening. I'm just seeing anecdotally that the guys are starting to struggle to find the additional resources that they need to try and deliver some of these things. That's probably no surprise when you look at what's going on with mining and, and the amount of money that's been spent on infrastructure. It's just a matter of how we fill that gap, which is no easy solution because just like the other states, I think you know, everyone else is trying to spend money on infrastructure and, and their housing markets as well. So they're going to be, we're going to be competing with the East Coast anyway as well. So I guess the, the one thing I'll add to all of that is in my nearly 13 years, I've never had as many expats ringing about employment in WA wanting to return home. The, the pandemic has made them sit back and think, okay, maybe this is time to get back to Perth. You know, WA is faring so well. The little island that is WA that McGowan created has worked, you know, phenomenally well. And that's been an attractant for expats and also immigrants wanting to move here. So I can honestly say the biggest levels of inquiry about employment back in Perth from expats wanting to come home from over east and overseas, mm. especially those that have moved away, maybe single and are now in a relationship and have kids and would traditionally always come home to work. Some of them are coming home a bit earlier than what they'd anticipated. So I'm hoping that will fill some of the skills 
gap that we'll have in the development industry and construction industry. Mm. And I've seen that with some of my friends as well. We've been living in the UK. They've come back home that slightly earlier than, than scheduled because Perth's such an amazing place to live and that's what they want to do. So that skill set is coming in. So hopefully that will fill some of that gap that we've got at the moment as well. And yeah, certainly consistent with what UDIA is pushing in terms of our state election campaign with Live, Work, Invest in mm. WA. We really need to be looking at leveraging the position that we're currently in economically, but also from a health perspective as well, and take advantage of all of those people that want to come back and call Perth or WA home again. Absolutely. Just before we finish, the, I guess the last topic that we wanted to talk about was education and skills development. And one of the things that we've really been caught out at, I think, in this current environment with the construction bonus is a lot of trades either having left the industry because there wasn't sufficient activity over the last few years that are uh, rusty or even others that are looking to move industries and come into construction. We just haven't had the skills development and focus there up until now and that and now we're seeing sort of significant skill shortages so what do you think you know we need to look at in terms of I guess designing our workforce of the future and making sure that we've got the appropriate skills being developed in our particularly our younger generation well I guess it stems from getting more of them into the curriculum doesn't it and you know through things like property education foundation obviously you're very involved in and other construction attractants I think we just need to need to market the industry better and mm. you know there's some fantastic work that's starting to be done but if you look at mining versus property everyone knows they can go and get jobs in mining but probably thinks that in property and construction you need to do a university degree or, or do a trade you know we need to somehow get the message out there there's lots of employment consistent employment out here to this, this sort of school age generation as they get closer to finishing high school or even mature age students you know construction industry is not going anywhere it is it is something that you can do and go home each night most of the time so how do we attract more people to study at an earlier age I'm not sure the answer but that certainly seems to be a funnel to get more people to be aware of the opportunities in employment for a career in construction or property will help us fill the funnel of talent you know, mm. it makes sense and as I say PEF's doing great great things and to see how we can help support that with more maybe advertising to, to that generation mm. to get them in the funnel. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Simon. Look, it's been a long time since I've been a uni, but uh, to try and show young people how diverse our industry actually is is probably fundamental to making sure we attract the right talent pool. Look, it's it's from anywhere from like skilled unskilled labour and work size to CEOs that make up our industry. And the combined effort of all those individuals is what creates and shapes our state and our city and mm. and having people understand that this is what you're doing you're actually shaping the place that you live and you're having a positive impact on what you how you live and, and the surroundings and your you know, and it's, it's not just like housing it's also your commercial stuff it's your entertainment stuff you know it's industrial stuff it's it's a very very broad spectrum of things and and it, and it also relies on you know, environmental guides engineers surveyors it's a cross-reference of different skill sets so there's, there's something for everyone, mm. you know, and I think we need to communicate the vision that you know, it's, it's about your place of living in your community and it's how you can positively impact on, on society. And that's, that's the beauty about what we do. We get to create spaces that get to get be enjoyed for into the future. And that's, that's why I do it. Well, I love it. I mm. get, get to see the rewards of all your hard work. And happy, I'd love to see my states when they're finished. 
because it's something that I've managed to deliver with my team and the people around me who assisted me and my directors and everyone. And it's exciting industry. Something tangible. And, and I think that's what we need to communicate to everyone and the people, the young generation coming through is that it's a very exciting industry and you know, you can stay at home. You don't have to do your FIFO stuff. You can enjoy life. You know, you can go to the beach on the weekend and you can go out to Rotary down south to the wineries and, and it's, it's a really good lifestyle. I don't know, I, I just personally love it. Yeah, and it's certainly something that Property Education Foundation as a board, we're very focused on looking at how we attract more people to the industry. And I think there's a bit of a perception that property equals real estate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that um, if you work in property, you need to be a real estate agent. agent and yeah. uh, that's, you know, obviously, you know, part of it, but it's so much One more of, than yeah. that. It's, um, it's probably a very small part of it, very really. Small part. Because yeah. you know, to create these spaces and communities, there's a lot of work. It's just at the end, you just got to sell it and transact on it. So it's only a very small part. And I think that's what gets missed a lot of the time. Mm. Right. Yeah. So a lot of work to do in that space. Yeah. So look, it's been great chatting to both of you today. Before we finish, we always leave our listeners with a message in a bottle for them to take away with them as they continue the rest of their day. So Simon, what's your message in a bottle for our listeners? I'd say look for opportunity in any market. There's always something. Absolutely. Totally agree. And what about you, David? I'm going to echo something similar. Never waste a good crisis. I think we've had opportunities to stop and reflect and let's now develop our city and our state in a the, in the place where we would love to live, play and work. Yeah, no, brilliant. Well, look, thank you very much to both of you for joining us today on the on this podcast. It's been fantastic to chat to both of you. And thank you to everybody who's been listening in. I hope today's discussion has been of value to you. Stay tuned for more episodes of our podcast dedicated to exploring diversity and inclusion in the urban development industry and more broadly next year and have a safe and happy festive season.